Hello and welcome to Storehouse 7 Ministries with me Chris Wickland and today we conclude Revelation chapter 19 and what a chapter it's been eh? So we're going to start at Revelation chapter 19 verse 13 <coughs> and all the verses that I read from the book of Revelation are always taken from the NASB. Most of the other references are generally from the NIV. So verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, we should not underestimate the power of Jesus' robe being dipped in blood, and what it means and the metaphors that are going on here. Because firstly, it speaks of his status and his power because and through his sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. That's from Revelation 13, verse 8. Jesus is the chosen one from before the creation of the world, 1 Peter 1.20. You see, the blood represents covenant. Thus, Jesus is the covenant-making seal. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. So Jesus' blood denotes cleansing power. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. The robe dipped in blood can also refer to Jesus uh, crushing his enemies. Thus, the blood may not just be his own, but also that of his enemies. Blood also can denote judgment, for the blood must be shed for evil, sin and wickedness. So, for example, in Genesis 9, verses 5 to 6, it says, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast will I require it, and from every man from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And Jesus is also the avenger of blood shed. Um, so this is an Old Testament concept. So the avenger of blood um, is basically, say for example, um, <coughs> I accidentally killed somebody. Um, this is in the Old Testament, then I, I, would, I would have to run to a city of refuge to flee from the avenger of blood who could technically and was allowed to kill me because of the manslaughter that I had committed. So Numbers 35 verses 20 to 26 to 27 says, But if the manslayer at any time goes beyond the border of his city of refuge to which he may flee, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the border of his city of refuge, and the blood avenger kills the manslayer, he will not be guilty of blood. So Jesus' robe being dipped with blood, again, is, we're going through all the different facets of the blood and what it could mean by Jesus having a robe dipped in blood, so that one of the things here is that Jesus is the avenger uh, of blood. So Revelation 6.10, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long? O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In Revelation 19.13 it says, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, 
and his name is called the Word of God. Now, the title Word of God uh, was covered in some depth in this commentary on Revelation chapter 1, verse 2. It's talking about the Devar Hashem. Uh, and this is about Jesus, as I said, being the Devar Hashem. Um, it, this is to do with Hebrew, so Hashem means the, uh, the Lord or the name, sorry, it means the name. And Devar means word in Hebrew. Um, uh, or Memra, if it's, I think, Memra is the word that's used in the Aramaic language. So Jesus is the Devar Hashem, the word of the, of, uh, of, of the name, i.e. the word of the Lord, the word of God. <coughs> and it is a hidden meaning revealed in plain sight within the Old Testament. So I strongly recommend you take the time to, re to re-listen or re-read the commentary or re-listen to that episode. Um, because it goes into quite a lot of depth on that and it's a beautiful revelation and if you're not aware of it, it will really bless you. You know, especially when you're reading the Gospel of John where it says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and it goes on to say the Word took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. That is Jewish theology and John was based, yeah, anyway, we don't have time to go into it but I would strongly recommend you listen to that commentary. It's uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 2 and if you haven't listened to it, then I recommend that you do. And if you know when you get the book, read it in the commentary in the book. So moving on, Revelation 19, 14, it says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on a white horse. Now, it's interesting to note the term armies. There are many classes of angels. There are many job functions. But here are many that are warriors trained for war and combat. In the Old Testament, God is often given the title Jehovah Sabaoth, or Lord of Heaven's Armies, or the Lord of the Heavenly Host. And some of these armies appear on the earth from time to time in Scripture, or have appeared on the earth, should I say. So, for example, in 2 Kings 6, verse 17, it says, And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. These angels are clothed in white, clean linen. And here we get a picture that the angels are holy and that they shine with the glory of God. And we see similar pictures of white linen and glory in the New Testament. So Luke 9:29, as he, Jesus, was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as, as a flash of lightning. Luke 2, 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, that's the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. These beautiful angels in white glowing dazzling clothing also uh, rode white war horses uh, that were likely also glorious to look upon as well. And these angels are also known as the holy ones at Jesus' return. So 1 Thessalonians 3.13 uh, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones. Uh, we could also argue that's also the saints that return with him as well. Uh, Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Matthew 25, 31, But when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, gosh, all of them, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says, 
and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Revelation 19.15 From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. It's verses like this that makes us realise that the Bible, although comprising of two key testaments, the Mosaic and, and the Messianic, is yet just really one book with a beautiful harmony between them. All of the sentence structure from this verse in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, uh, every, all the structure from this verse is all basically requotes of Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament language. It's because of verses like this that we should see continuity and harmony in our Bible, not just two separate parts, i.e. Old Testament, New Testament. Although quite clearly there is an Older Testament and a Newer Testament, nevertheless, you should see your book, your Bible, as one rather than the old bit that's no good and then the new bit which is really good. It's just not like that. So let's take a look at the quotations that make up verse 15. So Isaiah 11.4, it says, uh, But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Psalm 2 verses 8 and 9, <coughs> Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Isaiah 63 verses 2 to 4, Why is your apparel red, and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone. And from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And my year of redemption has come. Joel 3.12-14 Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So, from Revelation 19.15, we're getting multiple quotations regarding the day of the Lord from the Old Testament scriptures, but also redemption for the righteous, and also the beginning of Jesus coming to establish his rule and reign upon the earth as king. Revelation 19 verse 16, And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now this verse is showing us in very clear language that Jesus is King and Lord of everything, of all creation, of heaven, of man, of beast, of all angels and all powers and dominions, etc., etc. The title King of Kings also denotes Jesus as God. Language such as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is a very Jewish one and also therefore proves his divinity. In the Jewish prayer book known as the Siddur, um, G, uh, sorry, I'll read that again. In the Jewish prayer book known as the Siddur, um, this book applies such titles to Jehovah here as a, um, here as a song from the prayer book which introduces Shabbat. So I'm just going to read a bit of that. So this is from the Siddur and this is, this is a title to Jehovah and introduces um, 
this kind of terminology. So this is a prayer for Shabbat that when they're praying it in, and it says, Welcome, ministering angels, messengers from the Most High, from the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, come in peace, bless me with peace, go in peace. So when Jesus returns with this title written on his robe and thigh, it will be yet another sign to the Jewish people who their God and Messiah really is. Revelation 19, 17-19 Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and his army. <clears throat> so here we have what many suppose to be uh, part one of the Gog-Magog war. Now I say part one because part two of the Gog-Magog war is, is listed in Revelation 20 verse 8. Go and have a look at it. So the first, part, the first part of this war begins just prior to the millennial reign and the second time just before the end of the millennial reign, some 1,000 years later. So we have a very detailed description of the Gog-Magog war, parts 1 and 2, in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take a few excerpts uh, here and there. Um, now just to... Just to give you an introduction. So verses, so this is from uh, Ezekiel 38, verses 7 to 12. In this section, God calls the nation so that they all come to destroy Israel and the sacred city of Jerusalem. But this is God's design, to put the enemy in one location to defeat them all. So Ezekiel 38 verses 15 to 16 says, You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, the word peoples can also mean nations, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army, and you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it shall come about in the last days. Interesting that it says it will happen in the last days. That I will bring you against my land, so that all the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. Verses 22 to 23 of Ezekiel 38. Here God judges Gog and Magog. With pestilence and with blood I will enter into judgment with him and I will reign on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hailstones, fire and brimstone. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. Then we move into Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 3 to 8, which says, I will strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and your troops and the peoples who are with you, I will give as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. And I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands uh, in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations will know that I am the Lord 
the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming and it shall be done, declares the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. So as you can hear, as you can see here, I'm not really commenting much because I don't really need to. The scriptures from the Old Testament really are the commentary here. They just they just see you can see perfectly how this all fits together. And that's why, again, revelation must be taken not by its own authority, but in the light of and the authority of all apocalyptic uh, scripture that's gone before it. Because the book of Revelation is really the capstone. It's not the big book that tells us what's all that's happening. It's actually but the mini capstone that sits on the top that helps us decode difficult passages and put it into a flow of sense and a sense of order. Revelation 19 verses 20 to 21. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So, excuse me, so here we finally now come to the judgment of the Antichrist and his miracle worker. The judgment here is actually quite unusual. Firstly, all people at the end of the age who are not saved will be raised from the dead at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, get judged and then thrown into the lake of fire. See Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 and 6 and 11 to 15. But for the Antichrist and his miracle worker, they are literally just tossed alive straight into the lake of fire. Remember, this lake of fire was initially made for the devil and his angels. You see that from Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, 41. Yet the first people to enter it will be the Antichrist and the miracle worker. They will be there for a thousand years before the rest of all souls from all ages are thrown into it after the millennial reign of Christ. The judgment of Jesus here is so swift, concise and total and thus the two most wicked humans to ever walk this earth get the first taste of eternal damnation a thousand years before anyone else. The lake of fire they're thrown into burns, it says in Revelation, with brimstone. Now brimstone on the earth with all its impurities burns around about 444 degrees Celsius. But pure brimstone with no impurities would burn between 800 to 1000 degrees Celsius. And these are temperatures that are just beyond our comprehension. The lake of fire will be the horror of all horrors, the most awful, literally God-forsaken place in the universe. All the armies that attacked Israel with the Antichrist were killed but not thrown alive into the lake of fire. These armies of Gog and Magog were destroyed by the sword which came out of his mouth, i.e. Jesus' mouth. In other words, by the judicial word of his power, they were struck instantly by his judgment. And we get a picture of this in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 12 to 13, and this ends this, how this chapter for Revelation will end. It says, this is the plague which the Lord uh, God will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, people will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. They will seize each other by the hand and attack one another. And that's how it goes down at the end of days when all the nations are brought together to come against the people of Israel 
and the Lord will return. And this is the stuff that he will do. Very sobering things, yeah? Um, but Jesus, our reigning champion king, will come and do these things because he is our Lord and he is our God and he is a good God and justice must be served at the end of the age upon probably the most evil and wicked people to ever walk the earth and to follow two of the most utterly, utterly evil people, which is the beast and his antichrist, uh, sorry, the antichrist, which is the beast and his miracle worker, which is the other beast. And that's why they are thrown into the lake of fire a thousand years before anybody else. No, no judge and jury, straight in there, straight in. I mean, wow. Anyway, that's quite a sobering way to end this chapter. Um, so maybe if it's the daytime, go and look out the window and maybe look at some flowers or something just to cheer yourself up. Um, but yeah, this is quite a sobering end, really. And uh, But then when we move into chapters 20, 21, etc., then this moves into the rule and the reign of Christ upon the earth. And of course, then we come to the final war of Gog and Magog, but that's all to come. So until then, God bless you all. And thanks for tuning into these broadcasts and listening to them. It's encouraging to me and I hope they've blessed you. God bless. See you again soon. Bye bye.